Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Spencer Tuma, Director of National Legislative Programs. Today, we're really pleased to have U.S. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler on our episode of Digging In. Congresswoman, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm glad to be here, Spencer. Well, thanks so much. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, We certainly know that 2020 has been an interesting year uh, for lawmaking and as well as other things in other industries. Uh, But Congresswoman, you know, we have a lot of listeners from your congressional district uh, and from the state of Missouri who are familiar with you and have been uh, represented by you in Congress. But for those who are not from your district or maybe not even from the state of Missouri, could you just introduce yourself a little bit and talk about your journey to the U.S. Congress? Oh, sure. Well, I feel so honored to represent uh, the 24 counties in West Central Missouri that comprise Missouri's fourth district. I'm a lifelong resident from there. Grew up on a family farm with my mom, dad, sister, and we uh, had a lot of hogs, uh, had some cows and uh, were row crops farmers as well, and went to Archie, Missouri, graduated, went to the University of Missouri, uh, got a degree in education and became a uh, family consumer sciences teacher and taught one year in Lebanon, Missouri. And then the the farm boy from three miles away from back home uh, asked me to marry him. And I said, yes. And so we got married and I came back to Cass County uh, where I continued teaching for another 10 years up in Belton. And uh, on our farm, it's very similar to the my uh, parents' farm, we uh, had uh, pigs and uh, cows, and we also have corn, soybeans, and wheat. And uh, we gave up the pigs a few years ago, but still have a cow-calf operation as well as row crop. And so I'm a lifelong farmer. Uh, we also have a farm equipment business, a small business. Um, so we, uh, I certainly understand agriculture and feel very honored to represent um, not just this district, but the entire state of Missouri as the only member of Missouri's congressional delegation on the House um, Agriculture Committee. Uh, My husband, Lowell, and I have one daughter, and she's a senior in college this year, going to be a teacher. Um, But I was asked to run for state representative after I had taught school for 11 years, and uh, back in 1994, and I I, uh, after much prayer uh, and uh, talking to others, decided that was a way to make a difference for uh, many people and ran and won. And it's very privileged to represent this area in Jefferson City for three terms, six years. Uh, then uh, became a mom and Tiffany came along and decided not to run for reelection to uh, focus on uh, her and uh, work more closely on a daily basis with my husband on our farm and our business and uh, so did that for nine years and then was asked to run for Congress and uh, so we ran in 2010 and we're just so blessed to be uh, chosen to to serve and to represent the people of Missouri's district and I am uh, on the Ag Committee but also the Armed Services Committee which where I'm uh, one of the senior members now Uh, ranking member on tactical air and land forces subcommittee and of course our district has two very important military installations of Fort Leonard Wood and Whiteman Air Force Base so um, there's a lot in Congress that deals with our national defense and agriculture and I'm also chairman of the values action team in Congress which is 110 members of Congress uh, dedicated to preserving and protecting and advancing faith family freedom and life and so um, 
glad to be there and uh, glad to be with you today to talk about Missouri's number one industry, agriculture. Absolutely. Well, we at Missouri Farm Bureau certainly appreciate the relationship, the strong relationship we have with you and your staff and and your family as lifelong Missouri Farm Bureau members. I know that um, you and your husband served on our Young Farmer Committee not too long ago. So um, I certainly know that you have a long commitment to Missouri Farm Bureau. Yes, and I appreciate you saying uh, we were on the Young Farmer Committee not too long ago. Right, that was yeah. very kind of you. Time, it, it's all relative, right? So, um, That's right. So, Congresswoman, just want to mm-hmm. jump into a couple of different issues. You know, um, I guess I'll give the caveat for our listeners. We're recording this podcast the first part of September to be released later this fall. Um, so I guess kind of as you see things today, tell us about how, you know, certainly the pandemic has caused a lot of uncertainty. It's caused a lot of unrest, a lot of questions. But from a member of Congress's perspective, how has the pandemic affected lawmaking? Right. It has affected it in several different ways. Uh, Speaker Pelosi, for instance, pushed through a new provision allowing members of Congress to vote by proxy and to stay home and to send their vote to someone else. I personally uh, don't support that unless someone is actually you know, sick themselves mm-hmm. And I believe we should be there in person doing our job representing. So I have traveled back and forth to Washington, D.C. to cast the vote for my district in person. But that has changed things as well as uh, they've shut down a lot of the schedule earlier this spring and summer so that we were working here from home. And so we were conducting business for our committee hearings and briefings and regular meetings with constituents uh, online and on uh, Zoom. And so We've uh, been dealing with technology issues, and that has certainly uh, pointed out the need of more rural broadband. Uh, even you know myself here in the country at our house, uh, I don't have access to very uh, high-speed internet, mm-hmm. which has made it difficult to even you know participate in in these uh, meetings and to um, represent them. But uh, staff uh, have been. Uh, Uh, home, working from home a a lot of the time. My staff has been back uh, working in a rotational basis in the office, but then, you know, half of them working from home, rotating every day, wanting, uh, we've wanted to be there so we can take those phone calls, we can answer those emails, and we can be responsive to the people in our district. But uh, it certainly has changed the way we operate, but we've been doing the best we can. And I look forward to us soon getting over this um, pandemic so we can get back to life more uh, normal and uh, um, we can be there all 100% in person in D.C. Yeah, absolutely. You made a really good point about the importance of stable and accessible internet. You know, that's something Missouri Farm Bureau has been advocating for for several years now. And uh, it is unfortunate that we've had to get in such a bad place with the pandemic to really get a lot of attention paid to rural broadband. But that's not been so for you and your office. You've had a lot of initiatives related to rural broadband expansion and putting sideboards on federal rural broadband programs. Can you talk a little bit about your work uh, on rural broadband and maybe what you see on the horizon moving forward? Right. If there's something positive that comes out of this coronavirus uh, pandemic, I, I hope that it will be the expansion of more rural broadband because like you said it has certainly pointed to the need that you and i and, and many of your listeners already knew existed um, i've been working for years to try to get more rural broadband uh, as a former teacher i've been, heard stories about children not being able to access their homework and having to go into school an hour early every day just to get on their google docs and to yeah. get their 
their homework and newspapers, small town newspapers, uh, having to spend two to three hours uploading their paper every week. And and mayors and city councils of our small t- cities talking about businesses that contact them, want to come into our district. They love our work ethic. They love our atmosphere and our family values in our communities. But once they find out we don't have high speed Internet, then, you know, they go somewhere else mm-hmm. and on and on. But um I helped in the farm bill, the past farm bill, get an amendment uh, to make sure that the investment that is there through the farm bill uh, that goes to the Internet and, and putting the broadband, is that it's at a speed that's going to work not only just for today but for the future. And we got that passed so that the investment uh, will be 25 download, 3 upload. My second amendment uh, expanded the amount of capital available for rural broadband mm-hmm. so that local banks could also give a loan to a rural electric cooperative or another entity and they could put in the uh, broadband with a federal loan uh, backed guarantee which will be helpful in expanding that but we have uh, two large pots of money right now available for uh, putting rural broadband the reconnect fund Mm -hmm. is through the usda through the farm bill and uh, over the last few years, I've supported and helped push, push through over one and a half billion dollars worth of money in that pot uh, that rural um, cooperatives can take advantage of. But there's also the FCC has a Connect America fund that was passed several years ago that they have now made available last year and now again this year for rural entities to tap into that money. And I'm pleased that in my district, five of my rural electric cooperatives right now are participating in that auction, trying to wow. uh, secure those funds. And that can make, be a game changer uh, for my district. So um, it's it's a high need. In Missouri, just to, just to show the need, we have 1 million Missourians that do not have access to high-speed Internet. Missouri ranks 49th in the nation for uh, Internet speed mm-hmm. and 41st in the nation for the availability of access to uh, the internet. So they estimate that's 195,000 students that don't have access, uh, which translated to 20% of our kids during the coronavirus when they were sent home from school, they couldn't access their homework. Um, 54,000 businesses and farms, you know, and and agriculture has a real need for high-speed internet too with precision agriculture. Mm -hmm. And that was a third amendment I got in last uh, farm bill which formed a task force for precision agriculture to to look specifically at the needs of farmers and uh, the and suggest ways that we could target and help them. So there's a lot going on. Um, I'm encouraged by the amount of funds and the focus going to rural uh, areas to put in broadband. And I'm hopeful in 10 or 20 years we'll look back at this time and it, remember uh, when we changed so that now everybody can have internet just like back in my dad's day when he was a little boy he can remember when they came through and put rural electricity in the area Mm -hmm. so i think this is our challenge now to expand it to rural broadband absolutely and i feel like you know in the situation we're in right now you can't hardly discuss rural broadband without bringing up rural health care as well and telehealth is something that that our members have become increasingly interested in. I know that healthcare is certainly an issue in your district. I even remember from, I guess I used to call it my past life, uh, work, working for you a couple years ago. That was an mm-hmm. issue even even 
you know, four or five years ago. Um, and certainly rural areas, a lot of people are an hour at least, maybe further away from a major hospital. It's hard for those people to access a medical care, especially if it's an emergency. What do you see on the horizon for rural health care? I know you, I believe you've had a hospital close in your district in the recent past. And um, what, what do you see moving forward with rural health care, particularly as we move forward in the pandemic? Yeah, this is another area of real opportunity. You know, before the pandemic, there was only 14,000 beneficiaries per week that received a Medicare telehealth service. And predominantly, uh, telehealth is utilized by our senior citizens on Medicare so they can stay home, not have to travel in, and they can access their doctor over the Internet. But during the crisis, over 10.1 million beneficiaries received this benefit and that's because of some of the changes that the centers for medical services made as well as the funding that congress uh, and i supported to go to telehealth so now doctors can get reimbursed for more services um, you know in their office with their patient being home and it is very very popular Um, the trump administration has set a new precedent for our healthcare system through something they're calling Improving Rural Health and Telehealth Access Executive Order, Mm -hmm. which basically makes permanent the current expansion of telehealth services for those who don't have ready access to providers. Uh, So this is very exciting. I think it's going to change the way that medicine is delivered, especially for our senior citizens. Absolutely. I always think it's really interesting to see how technology has changed things. Uh, My grandparents live in rural Missouri, and and they know how to do FaceTime with their iPad. And I, I just think Wow, what a what a revolution in medical care! It could really help a lot mm-hmm. of people as long as they have the ability to access it. So, interested right. to see that move forward. Moving back a little bit to some agriculture related issues, or or more directly related to agriculture, trade is something that really has dominated the conversation for the last couple of years in the agricultural space. Would just be curious of your thoughts on the China phase one deal, as well as USMCA and and any other potential agreements that you kind of see on the horizon. Yes, well, it it is working. Mm -hmm. Uh, The phase one deal of China is is working in that China is buying more of our agriculture products. In fact, uh, China's increased by 16% their purchases of U.S. pork and beef and poultry. Um, and you know, it's very, very encouraging from uh, the beginning of this year through May. In fact, the United States had already sold China $1.1 billion of, of pork, which is more than the entirety of all last year in 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pet food sales are up. Grain sorghum sales to China have increased by 1,000%. Wow. So they um, are really, you know, coming through, and I'm very encouraged by that. And there's a lot of potential for that. It's interesting that China imports $141 billion uh, worth of agriculture goods every year, and that is the total amount of money that uh, of exports that we do in agriculture exports all over the world. So that you know, it's just interesting. It's the same same number. Uh, in this phase one deal, we're asking them to increase their purchases to us by 20 billion to 36 billion dollars. Um, so it's very doable. They're buying 141 billion. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they can buy 36 billion dollars you know, from us and 
and they're they're doing that. So that's that's encouraging. A Japan trade deal is uh, going well. They have really increased the amount of beef and pork and, and uh, wheat that they have bought from us. Um, and I think an area of opportunity is with the United Kingdom. I met recently with the Trade Ambassador for Agriculture, Greg Dowd, and he was updating us on their negotiations with the United Kingdom. Of course, they are coming out of the European Union. They've, mm-hmm. they've passed Brexit, and they currently are buying over $5 billion worth of beef and pork from the EU uh, every year. Wow. At this point, they are only buying six to seven hundred thousand dollars worth of ag products from us. If you if you take out the the wine, the beer, the alcohol, but just pure beef, pork, and other things, only about seven hundred thousand dollars, which is just a paltry sum, and yet they're buying five billion dollars worth of pork and beef from the EU. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Trade Ambassador Dowd says the United States is really working with them to try to get them to buy that from us. Um, right now, they have a 25% tariff on our U.S. products, and you know, which makes them non-competitive with the EU. So if we can get uh, the United Kingdom to lower those tariffs or remove those tariffs uh, and to start buying from us, that could be another market that uh, could be very promising for us. And they're also discussing uh, trade deals with Kenya right now. Um, so We'll see what happens there. At this point, where I'm watching the implementation of the USMCA, it just went into effect July 1st. Mm-hmm. Of course, this was a historic agreement between our number one and number two trading partners in agriculture, and that's Canada and Mexico. Uh, Mexico is our number one uh, export market for dairy products, and um, the USMCA shores that up. Um, make sure that they can remain duty-free. Our milk and dairy products can go in there. We have a provision in there making sure that they don't put any uh, um, barriers up to our cheeses coming in that have names like Swiss cheese and mm-hmm. Parmesan cheese. So there can be you know, no problem there. The, the main thing I'm watching is Ch- uh, Canada's reaction to the USMCA. You know, they have put barriers up that have made it very difficult for our dairy products to go into Canada for years. Right. And one of the huge victories of USMCA is to get them to drop the class six, class seven um, price uh, barriers and to agree to take more of our dairy products as well as more poultry and eggs. And uh, just since July, we've seen resistance from Canada for mm-hmm. doing that. They're kind of manipulating some of their regulations to still protect their dairy, uh, to not fulfill their obligations. And so I know that's something that uh, Trade Ambassador Dowd and uh, Lighthizer are looking at very closely, and those of us on Agriculture Committee are as well, uh, to make sure that they follow through uh, with their agreements. Absolutely. We certainly appreciate you all paying attention to that. As you know, the dairy industry has really been struggling over the last several years. And uh, the, the, the things that were agreed to in USMCA probably do not solve all of the problems of the dairy industry, but they do help. Uh, so we were really looking forward to seeing Canada come through on those obligations. And I think we all need to hold them accountable to being sure they hold up their part of the bargain. Absolutely. The last question or the last issue, I guess, I want to touch on, Congresswoman, before we wrap up is, you know, the Missouri River uh, is an important part of your district in a lot of places bordering and also running through some of your counties. 
Uh, last year, we certainly faced a large amount of flooding that affected communities along the Missouri River and the Mississippi River as well. Uh, what are some steps that you're aware of to uh, help reprioritize things on the Missouri River, and, and where do you see things moving forward as we face recovery from the events last year? Well, you are correct. It was absolutely a devastating flood last year. In fact, uh, I was on the Missouri River just last week uh, with, with Colonel Hanna, who is the commander of the uh, Corps of Engineers here in the Kansas City office, looking at three things on the Missouri River we were looking at and discussing the flooding and the, and where we're at and repairing those uh, um, levees that were breached and, um, you know, protecting our farm ground as well as our houses and people's homes and communities. And then secondly, looking at where we're at with navigation on the Missouri River. Mm -hmm. And then third, looking at the habitat uh, challenges of trying to restore the habitat for the pallet sturgeon that has uh, been a ruling that's come down and fish and wildlife uh, kind of um, acts as the enforcer and uh, the Corps of Engineers has to try to work with them to have some sort of common sense there. And um, the Colonel Hannah was saying that last year's flood was the, the longest flooding event in Missouri's history with over wow. 279 days of flood stage, which made it very difficult to get these levees repaired because there was water uh, on northwest Missouri, you know, land and levees for, for months and months. It was very difficult to even get out there and assess the damage near alone, do the engineering work and start uh, a letter contract for repairs. So it has been difficult. On the encouraging side, uh, in Congress, we have passed the Water Resources Development Act, which mm -hmm. is uh, done every two years. And it was done in a bipartisan fashion. It was very encouraging. Uh, yeah. The week before, there was another infrastructure bill dealing with highways and bridges that sadly turned partisan. And Speaker Pelosi loaded it up with things that uh, did not have um, much to do with roads and bridges. And mm -hmm. uh, But the WERDA bill uh, stayed bipartisan. And we put provisions in there to, to try to help. Uh, we've had, we found $10 billion of money in, that was antiquated projects that really weren't uh, going to be completed anymore. Mm -hmm. So we were able to move those to some other capabilities, such as giving new authority um, to study and design and construct water resources projects for communities that have repetitive flooding events right. uh, to try to help them. Uh, we also gave decreased the local cost share burden for projects funded through the Inland Waterways Trust Fund, which will allow expedited completion of new ports and new facilities on the Missouri River. Um, I got an amendment in there that prohibits construction of intercept rearing complexes on the Missouri River, mm -hmm. which are uh, their attempt to try to expand the, the growth of the fish, the pallid sturgeon. And until we do a study to see if one, they're really effective, right. uh, if they do bring back the, the pallid sturgeon, and what impact that has to navigation by building these um, complexes on the Missouri River, and you know what impact that's going to do for for um, for navigation and and that asking the local stakeholders, giving them a, a opportunity to give input into that. So mm -hmm. these intercept rearing complexes, we got to see one last week, are uh, sections of the river typically on a bend where they. They put walls of uh, rock out in the um, river with an opening near the shore. 
with the theory being that water will go in there and and not be at such a high rate of a flow and the little tiny uh, baby fish will be able to go in there and, and grow and uh-huh. have more of a protected environment. But to date, uh, they've only built two, um, but they haven't seen that it has increased the fish growing and getting bigger. And it cuts out the, cuts down on the amount of channel uh, mm-hmm. that the barges have. So I have a lot of concerns with that. It's rem- reminiscent to me of the chutes that were built, and we got to see one of those as well of course, a few yeah. years ago to try to help this, the, the baby fish. And uh, by digging this channel um, <clears throat> through the Missouri River, and it has actually, you know, been disastrous and hasn't helped at all. And we wasted, no doubt, tens of millions of dollars uh, on these, uh, const- you know, construction uh, items. So I'm glad that my study got in there and we'll stop this production at least for a while till we know better, you know, if they're successful or not. Absolutely. Well, we certainly appreciate your advocacy on on all of those various issues. And once again, appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to visit with us. Before I let you go, uh, I want to move to, and I'll, I'll give you some background. So whenever we were all working from home, we started something called the quarantine question. So it was like a fun question about what we were doing during the quarantine or how many, you know, albums, country music albums you listen to, that sort of thing. Um, so we're now, I guess, calling it the Missouri Farm Bureau question of the week because we are not in quarantine anymore, thankfully. Uh, but this week's question for you is, if you, Vicki Hartzler, were to win an Olympic gold medal, what event would it be for? Oh, I was a track and field and I was a track coach for six years when I taught junior high and high school. So um, I would think it would be for the, uh, I wasn't that fast myself, but maybe uh, <laughs> the four by 100 relay. There um, you go. Yeah. With, with some really fast, three other fast people. I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. I think mine, I would want mine to be in like artistic gymnastics, but you know me well enough to know I'm not nearly that coordinated. So um, I would <laughs> I say would it's do- a long shot. <laughs> It's funny. I would love it to be an ice skating. I always have been fascinated. Thought that would be so cool to be a figure skater. But uh, yeah, I, other than my frozen ponds uh, where I got to uh, skate a little bit as a kid, that's I, I don't have enough uh, coordination either or experience to do that. But that would be pretty pretty neat. I'm trying to imagine you getting out on the frozen farm pond and try and skating around. So it's <laughs> that would certainly yeah. be a sight to see. But anyway. Well, you, Yes, hopefully you won't see that. (laughs) Congresswoman, (laughs) any last, uh, any final thoughts before we sign off for the day? Uh, No, I just, uh, I would just say I appreciate Farm Bureau and the the great role that you have in bringing common sense um, and knowledge and firsthand voice of farmers to Washington and Jefferson City. And you're right, it is an organization I've been involved in my whole life, my my, my dad was Farm Bureau president in Cass County uh, when I was a kid and my parents on the board and on through, but fabulous organization. Um, I feel very honored to represent the farmers in my area and to work with you, um, Spencer, as well as Farm Bureau to move agriculture forward, keep it strong. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a challenging time, but, you know, uh, farmers are always optimistic and mm-hmm. they always say, you know, next year will be even better. And I see that tenacity and that perseverance still today and what we're going through. And I feel confident we will get through this together and uh, 
look forward to continuing working with you to move American agriculture forward. Absolutely. Well, Congresswoman, thank you again so much. Anytime you need anything from us, if there's a way we can be a partner, you always know how to get a hold of us. So we certainly appreciate your time and, and wish you the best as we look towards the fall. Thanks, Spencer. Take care. All right. Thank-